Welcome to Down the Rabbit Hole Enterprise Security News. All the news relevant to you and your business, squeezed into 20 minutes or less. And now, welcome your Monday morning information security quarterbacks, James Jardine and the White Rabbit, Rafael Lopes. All right, folks, welcome to another edition of the Down the Rabbit Hole newscast. And this is Rap coming at you. Uh, I today am in Orlando. It is April 7th, Monday, April 7th, 2014. Um, James is in the room with me this time. Hey, buddy. Hey, how's it going? And uh, remotely is Mr. Michael Santarcangelo. Hey, bud. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. So, um, uh, you know what happens tomorrow? The sun will come out tomorrow but also xp will expire officially and for serious this time yeah it'll explode we're we're <laughs> serious now trust us we've only been telling you for two years well you know uh, so plans will fall out of the sky atms will spit out cash anything else wait a minute which atms i, I got plans for tomorrow now <laughs> <laughs> just driving around looking for atms spitting out cash exactly no but seriously i mean folks uh, this is something we've been hearing about for years literally there's been blog posts on it microsoft's all but i mean they've taken out ads in newspapers i think the only thing they haven't done is skywriting at this point yeah i haven't seen that yet you know what that would yeah. be interesting I'll, i'm gonna go down yeah. to the beach today because we it, it's uh, tourist season already and we have the planes with the banners i'm gonna go see if microsoft has a banner plane at myrtle beach that says seriously <laughs> xp is done upgrade what's wrong with you <laughs> Uh, but you know, there's been there's there's still tons of news articles, tons of um, discussion around. Oh no, lots of panic. You know, what will we do? Uh, and I actually legitimately hear some uh, some talk about purpose-built devices that are on XP that don't have any migration path. Um, so there's a there's a couple of different things corporations are still complaining about. Uh, but you know, there are purpose-built devices, but I, I don't think that's necessarily a Windows XP issue. Yeah, you know, as I think about this a little bit, I mean, I, I get it, especially from a security perspective, because now we're worried about, oh, this means there'll be more attacks, more things will happen. But I look at it and I say, you know, XP has been here now for 12 years. So forget that they've been telling us for two years. I think there's a trend if we start looking back over the last 30, 40 years or so, where we make these assumptions. This, you know, I mean, we can only code a year in two digits. That's, that's fine. We, we'll worry about it later. And then we had a lot of money spent, a lot of energy around Y2K. Whether that went as everybody predicted or not, it's tough to say if that's because we spent so much money or because we misunderstood the challenge. But so what's starting to happen now is that I'm noticing we're making these assumptions. I mean, think about that for a second. You're building a purpose-built device, probably something that has to do with life safety. And you're building a, on an operating system that I think anybody reasonably would predict isn't going to be here past a decade. And so I, I think there's a new question now to say, what assumptions are we making as we start out? And what happens when our assumption is wrong? Well, this, is, this sort of goes back to a, a friend of mine in the banking world. has um, He's a CISO, and he was telling me about this uh, 
this machine they have in their VM environment uh, that runs DOS and Fox Pro for one of their more critical clearinghouse type clearinghouse types of applications. And I, I almost fell out of my chair when he said Fox Pro because I hadn't heard that name since what the mid and late nineties. Yeah, it's been a while. And there's no upgrade. I mean, what are you going to upgrade that to? Yeah, the hard part about that is normally you have to rewrite the app. I mean, I I had to help a logistics company rewrite an app. I mean, it was all Fox Pro pays, you know, and upgrade it to basically SQL and you know, .NET. I mean, it was a it was a whole, huge ordeal getting that set up. So there's there's the I keep hearing I've, so I've, I keep hearing this, but there's that challenge of well, it would cost us way more to upgrade it and rewrite it from scratch than just continue to maintain it. And I suppose for every one of these discussions that we have, there's a 486 somewhere that's running a uh, you know time card app that nobody's ever going to replace until that building is decommissioned. And I legit, I'm serious, I mean that. Uh, <laughs> you, you laugh, but it exists. no, you're right. I'm laughing only because yeah. it's right. I mean, but are we doomed to see XP for the next decade and a half still? In, in I mean, I posted a Twitter the other day. You know, local news outlet, I think it was the NBC affiliate in Chicago, had some story on. And in the as the reporter's talking, she's sitting at her desk in the newsroom to give it that newsroomy feel. And what's what's on behind her on the screen? Oh, that's right, it's an XP Windows XP uh, screensaver logo. So the news is even pushing to keep using it. You know, I th- I think we're going to see it for a long time, even though it's. You know they're going to cut support from it. There's there's a lot of people that aren't going to be upgrading outside the corporation because I think there's a lot of people that you know Microsoft doesn't make updates as simple as like the Mac OS. Right, Mac OS is easy. You push a button and you're updated. I mean it's <laughs> it's almost ridiculous. Windows, you have to worry: is it going to break my software? Is it going to do? You know, is my machine even going to boot again? I mean, there's been a history of problems when you upgrade a, a Windows box. So. You know, are we going to see it dumped? You know, even though people have had 12 years to realize that, hey, you know, there's two other new operating systems out after it, it's going to die. Well, and that's the and that's the scary part. There's, you know, there's a lot of the folks that listen to us sit in their cubes and go, yeah, I, I know where they are. I know those, where those XP machines are. They're never going away because uh, they're on a piece of hardware that was built for Windows for around the XP environment. It's not like magically we're going to, you know, it's built uh, both in, uh, in hardware, in terms of peripherals, but also in terms of uh, you know uh, local storage space and and just you know everything's built around the operating system. It's like they're magically going to go upgrade it because you know Windows 8 probably wouldn't fit on that uh, on that piece of uh, solid state, wherever the hell it's burned to. Yeah, you know, and quite honestly, I mean, we still to this day when we go out and do assessments, we find companies that have Windows 2000 running. Right. So, I mean, you know, and the same reasons, you know, oh, well, we've got this one application that has to run and it only runs here, you know, and we're not going back to rewrite it to upgrade it. And so we have a 2000 box sitting out here, you know, we're going to see the same thing with XP. Oh, it works on XP. It still works. There's, it's not broken, technically. Until we until we see virtualization get better, where it's all integrated in and you can run an XP app on Windows 7 and, you know, everything works exactly how it should. Yeah, but now we're getting into that world where backwards compatibility is uh, is something. How far backwards compatible do you go, right? And th- that's where all tons of vulnerabilities come from. Yeah, you know, I, I, as I'm listening and I'm I'm kind of thinking about this again, right? So so if we're starting to realize that our assumptions are wrong, then in terms of XP, it fundamentally boils down to two questions: one, what are we going to do with anything currently relying on XP, and two, what are we going to do going forward? 
And and what I think is kind of interesting about that is that in terms of what we're going to do with XP is really going to come down to you're either going to have to protect it, which may mean isolating it, right, and going through some of these more draconian security types of things, or you're going to have to replace it. Yes, yes, it'll be too expensive. And every time somebody says that, I think that the response should be, okay, how much? And like actually walk them through a value equation because I, I've watched people tell me that it's too expensive to do a lot of stuff until they actually sit down and run the numbers and realize, oh, uh, my bad, we'd save a lot of money in the process. Well, and what are they comparing that to? Right. You know, I mean, you, you sit there and say it's too expensive. You know, yeah, sit down, run the numbers, but then run the numbers on the data you have. Okay, what happens if we lose 40 million credit card numbers? How expensive is that? And what's the difference? You know, wh which one's more expensive at that point? Now, here's the other question then. Does something like this start to increase adoption of SaaS and cloud where I can, somebody else is going to worry about the functionality, someone else is going to worry about the upgrades, is going to worry about the hardware, is going to worry about the operating system, and I'm going to get the results I want, and, and it's going to be their problem to figure out how to maintain and upgrade and make it work? Or well, that, that, that's, a, that's, an interesting, uh, that's an interesting look at it because um, there's, so there's two extremes here, right? There's the... Uh, there's the Google Chrome way where your uh, browser updates and it tells you, hey, um, you know, day, on day one it says uh, the, the, the light is, the little bar is orange and it says, hey, you probably should reload sometime soon. And about a week later it says, dude, seriously, reload sometime soon. And eventually it says, you know what, you're not listening. I'm just going to do this for you. Um, or the other mechanism, which is like, hey, you know, there's a patch that came out. Uh, go go here, download it, sign in, get it, put your username and password, and download it, upload it to the thing, run the 74 upgrade steps, right? That way is I think dying. I think that's what you're hinting at. And are we seeing? Uh, is is the next logical evolution in uh, I guess operating systems or whatever the uh, I guess vendor mandated push or just things just auto update. You know, like, for example, if Google wanted to push out something to all of the Nest smoke alarms. Exactly. As Which, an example. As a, as a perfect example. Um, you know, that idea of, you know, because they just announced that they've disabled the wave feature to, to, to turn off the smoke alarm when it's going off. Um, you know, because they found some obscure... You know, as people are running, screaming from the building, waving their arms, I guess it turned the alarm off. Uh, or, so, you know, they have some obscure thing that turns it off, so they decided to disable it. And, you know, they wrote a letter and said, hey, in 24 hours, all of your smoke detectors, this will be disabled. You know, if it's connected to the Internet, we're going to go ahead and disable it for you. And that's, you know, kind of interesting. And I never got the letter. You know, I saw the news article. I, I never got anything that said they were going to disable it. I have two of those smoke detectors. Do you, does that mean you missed the update for if you do the Macarena when it's going say, off? I, I think that's I think that's why they're disabling it because Michael kept waving running around <laughs> with his hands in his house and kept turning everything off. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's it's an interesting idea. You know, we talk all the time about these new devices, smart TVs, and all these other devices that, you know, how did how do they get updates? And there's nothing out there that really says. For the Nest devices, oh hey, by the way, this will automatically update. And this is a safety issue, by the way. It, a huge safety issue. I mean, what if they push a, uh, an update that bricks the device? And, and all of a sudden, nobody notices, and the house burns down. Who's liable? Yeah, I mean, yikes! 
you know, it, it, it's not like we haven't had precedents of people pushing updates that cause big problems. I mean, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> can't imagine any, any virus company doing that. Yeah, well, so now take it, you know, I mean, uh, I know that Raf right now is enjoying some sunshine. That's got to feel weird, by the way. Don't, don't get too much sun, my friend, or you're going to burn yourself. But so, you know, Nest also has uh, just the, the standard Nest, the thermostat. So what if that? What if there's an update? It bricks it. It needs to be reset. Something happens, and all of a sudden now the heat doesn't kick on when it's you know 20 degrees outside or it's 20 below outside, and pipes start to burst and things start to happen. So you know, on, on one hand, there's the where where's the control for it? And I think a reasonable answer back is, no, that's why we test it. No, that's why. And and maybe they do right. I mean, it, part of what we start looking at with these types of things is so where's the transparency? And there's, there's a balance. So what we've learned is if we're constantly bombarding people with all sorts of patches and updates, that's just mind-numbing, headache-inducing. So now the flip side is, ah, don't worry. We'll take care of all of it for you. Cool. What are the implications of that? I think, bo- I think both extremes are a little scary, and it, and, but they apply in different communities, right? So for the consumer desktop, I'm in the camp. By all means, push updates. People aren't going to do it themselves anyway. You're never going to raise that level of awareness to where my parents are going to go, oh, time, win- Windows patch time. Forget it. Push the patch, reboot for them. Yeah, well, and they, that's because they don't understand them, right? They have no idea what that really means yeah, that it's patching. They have no concept. Yeah, agree. But, I mean, if we, if we go into the enterprise space, so think about this, right, Michael? So let's, let's assume that we've got a cloud thing going on here. We've got some workloads pushed up to the cloud. We've got an application that's built for, I don't know, it, it's built for whatever operating system or P- version of Java, heaven help us, or whatever it is, some framework. And your provider, uh, without telling you, just automatically patch comes out, boom, they push it, boom, it breaks your application. Now what? Right. Yeah, no argument about it, especially because in the enterprise, it, we're more inclined to have specially coded stuff uh, and those changes have a tendency to break it. Yeah, no, no question about it. Now, there's another part to it, too. If you think about all the business models that have sprung up where we are the product, or if we abstract out from that emotional side to it, the activity within it is the product. So go back to Nest for a second. How much data are they getting about smoke and smoke alarms and when alarms are set off? I mean, I, I guarantee you they can profile, they could probably profile who's cooking on what night based on what's happening. Uh, and certainly with the original Nest, they can tell you who's spending more, who's spending less. That data is insanely valuable. So now how does that start to get used or used against you? And then, you know, we, what we still haven't talked about too is, doesn't that create a new attack vector? So, so whether this is at a consumer-grade thing or it's an enterprise-grade thing, where are those concerns and where's the transparency around that? Outside of, oh. hey, trust us, we're good. Well, in either of those, right? I mean, you're seeing people putting Nest in offices. You know, I mean, it's not just a consumer side. You know, you're starting to see these devices in the enterprise. So, yeah, the the all-time connectivity, all that stuff that's going on, what can you really gather? We talk all the time about how much information you can gather and what can we do with that information. And, you know, there's just so much information. You know, you got to start wondering, you know, okay, well, how are they determining this information, right? How does it know that it's that I'm waving my arm? You know, is it is there some sort of little mini camera in there? Right. Is it just a motion detector? You know, what else can they tell? I mean, if obviously if they can tell I'm moving my arm, they can tell every time I walk underneath that sensor, right? They can tell when the nightlight comes on 
when I walk through my house at three o'clock in the morning, you know, it picks up my motion and turns a little light on to help me see. All that stuff can help start identifying, you know, your habits and, and how you do things. Mm, yeah, that's uh, that's that you know, there's a there's a ton of metadata in that, and I guess there's a certain amount of trust that you have to place in. It seems like we're placing ever more trust in our data providers, in our governments, in our in our vendors um, to not, I don't know, how, what's the appropriate way to put this? Screw us over. Well, yeah, and when we when we place that trust, it's under the assumption that they know what they're doing. So, you know, I, I happen to live in South Carolina. I love living in South Carolina. But we, we had a pretty interesting uh, Department of Revenue data breach about 18 months ago or so. And there was a report that came out in the last week. Hey, by the way, yeah, we still haven't done anything about that. I, I, I'm probably being flippant. I'm sure somebody did something and they felt good about it. But the report that came out said, well, if you're part of the governor's executive cabinet, you were ordered by executive order to go fix it um, with, by the way, no more details than that. Oh, but if you were one of the other agencies or other departments, yeah, you were kind of left on your own. So there, there's no coordination to it. There's, there's no oversight to it. There's no looking at it. And, and yet these are the folks that are happy to guide other businesses on what it is that they need to do. Same vein. And by the way, this isn't unique to South Carolina. Uh, the FTC held a hearing of uh, privacy uh, sessions, uh, uh, privacy hearings in about the year 2000. So this is going into the Wayback Machine. And I can remember Excite at Home was still a viable company at the time. And, and the guy stood up and talked about, you know, they're probably at the time terabytes of data, but then freely conceded they weren't sure what to do with it. When pushed, the, then just delete it. Oh, no, no, no. We're sure there's value in it. We're just not sure what it is. And so, you know, SA. we're, we're, we're putting trust that people aren't going to screw us over. We're also putting trust that people know what, what needs to get done. And um, I, I think that maybe we're heading in the right direction. But, you know, when you bring up transparency uh, or trust, I'd like to see a little bit more of both. Well, you know, and I always I, I sometimes wonder, too, with a lot of these sites where we're, you know, basically the product, you know, I, I mean, are people thinking about the fact that they're they're putting trust in there or are they just you know enjoying the fact that you know there's convenience in what they're doing you know and, and we don't really think about it like oh you know that information is not that big of a deal who cares if somebody knows i'm doing this at this time yeah well think about this right so say along that government vein michael you, you've got the ever more government agencies are going to everything electronic um whether it's to renew the license plates or tags on your car your driver's license you know you pay your uh, Mortgage, property taxes, all that stuff online, property records. I mean, everything can be searchable online. Yeah. State of Illinois, for the longest time, I tried to report this, and I, I couldn't find anybody to listen to me. Um, after we had uh, – my wife got a speeding ticket. We processed it, you know, paid it, whatever. And this thing came in the mail that basically um, said, here's here's – you can go online and look at your court record for this event. Uh, and it was a – uh, it was a PDF file, first off, right? Hmm. It, was a, it was a link to a PDF file, so I'm like, eh, okay. But I look at the the structure of the uh, of the URL syntax, and it was her last name, oh, no. the date of the incident, um, the la and and like a couple other things, and 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 what seemed to be like a couple of sequential bits. So I'm thinking to myself, it is not this easy. So I changed the number. I just subtracted one from the number and got somebody else's record. 
subtracted one from that, got another one. Subtracted one from that, got another one. I'm like, okay, this is bad. Like, I, you know, here's your driver's license number. Here's the offense you committed. Here's the time you went to court. Here's how much you paid. But here's the result. That can't be good. But I couldn't get anybody at the uh, uh, at the DMV there to listen because I reported it probably three or four times to different entities, and they're like, oh yeah, no, that's not a problem. Right, that's a feature. We designed it that way. It's it's public record. I'm like, uh, maybe, but that's kind of scary. If that is public record, then that's not good either. Yeah, they just recently, uh, a few years ago in Jacksonville, went through and you know had this big, huge project to scrub the the confidential information from stuff like that because of all the public record that we have. You know, you can go look up all kinds of transactions that have happened through the courthouse, and now they're going back and scrubbing. You know, social security numbers or driver's license numbers and that type of information. Well, that's always been a misunderstanding, right? Freedom of information doesn't mean you get everything. It, there's certain things that that for a variety of reasons aren't disclosed. And so if something's, quote, public record, yes, parts of it, not necessarily all of it. So there's a, there, there's a, there's a change that we start to look at with that. And, it, it, you know, something that occurred to me listening to it as I start p- putting the connections together, I, I wish someone could show us how many small businesses or, or, or SMEs are using XP because those might also be the same ones that were inclined to go towards Nest. And then listening to it, you know, small uh, governments in general uh, aren't going to be radically different in terms of their ability to, to act on these types of issues than a lot of the small enterprises. And James, as you said, a, a lot of people, they don't necessarily understand, right? We've done a relatively poor job so far. We have room for improvement at connecting people, actions to impacts in, in a way that they understand, in a way that they, it doesn't make them feel guilty or feel, sh- you know, you feel shame, go sit in corner. Um, but, you know, one of the things that could be waking people up is uh, we have Raf's favorite guy there, Mr. Snowden, as uh, bringing a new he, amount of he awareness. He shall never be named. <laughs> right. The, uh, the person. Um, th- yeah. But so, I mean, we're seeing now that people are, oddly enough, distrusting government at a higher rate. Uh, and in the, the United States, they're, they're distrusting NSA. And so then they go to the government and say, hey, we don't trust any of, of you or these people, so do something about it. Help me understand that paradox. Well, and, and they're, you know, not just government entities, but even large companies, you know, that are, you know, working with, the you know, like, hey, yeah, we provided information to them. You know, it's like, wait a minute, you collected all this and didn't really say so, or maybe you did and I didn't read the privacy policy that <laughs> for the terms of agreement that we have out there. Well, it's it's funny. Um, in Illinois, people are were up for a while all up in arms about the fact that the toll collection system can act isn't actually like <clears throat> some article was written about how the toll collection system just recently, a couple of years ago, was integrated and then now they can track a car's movement across. You know, they can basically determine your driving habits and where you go and how fast you go and blah blah blah. And people are like, oh my gosh! Like, meanwhile, you're posting um, where you're eating, what you're eating, when you're going on vacation, where your kids go to school on Facebook. Like, yeah, well, we give that freely. I'm like, oh, that's much more intelligent. You know, that that whole that whole shift between like we demand privacy, but we give it away. It's like I don't understand what you want. So I think it's you know that really comes down to people saying. You know, it was my choice to post that versus somebody's collecting that data, you know, without my permission. So you, or, or T's and C's that you just didn't read. 
Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I don't know. I, I actually started – after a while, I started reading when, when I had my iPhone. I started reading all the iTunes you know, uh, updates that came in, you know, the T's and C's updates. Man, they bury stuff in there. You're like, wait, what? If you read those, you'd never use anything. Right. <laughs> and that's the crazy thing. Like people – you know, you're, not to get off too wildly on a tangent here because I know we got one more we got to kind of tie this off. But it, it, it seems like – how many of you guys listening actually read all the T's and C's of the things that you buy or sign up for and go, yeah, okay, I'm okay with this? Or you go, oh, man, this thing does what? Oh, all right, but I really want to play this game. Yeah, you know, and I think that's really what it is. I mean, I I rarely read those things, right? It's like, well, I said it is what it is. You know, I'm going to – I want to use the product, so – Meh. You know, that, that – and I think that's what a lot of people did. Not, I can't imagine that many people read those. Well, it's like every time your Android phone updates, you're like, hey, this app wants to use your address book. You're like, but it's a card game. Right. But it's a really cool card game, so all right, fine. <laughs> hey, um, and, you know, uh, to, to put a bow on it, it's not a newscast until we talk about the uh, Target debacle. It seems like it's the uh, the recent uh, the uh, comment, the, the topic that won't die and probably until the end of the year. But um, the good news is Sanity has – maybe prevailed and the two banks that were targeting both target targeting target and Trustwave have uh, seen the error of their uh, ridiculousness and dropped their suits but um whew, nearly avoided a uh, collision with palm there for a minute yeah it's uh, you know what i find interesting about it is how they quote and mention you know the idea that they tested and didn't find any vulnerabilities and they were monitoring and didn't report it uh you know whether who knows whether they're accurate in those statements. Obviously, they weren't that accurate since they came out and Trustwave said, no, we didn't do any of their stuff. Uh, so that's one of the reasons they dropped the suit. But, you know, it really starts to question the idea of, you know, hey, if you're a security company and you go in and test and you don't find one of the flaws that exists, what, what's your liability? You know, if you're a monitoring company, what's your liability for, you know, how you react to that well, yeah, that, and, that. and James, I mean, you're this is what you do, but I mean, aren't you constrained to a certain extent by the scope, by the amount of time that you have, by whether you're coming in with full access and diagrams or not? I mean, there are so many variables to this. I don't even know how we'd begin to unpack it. Yeah, and that's with the, lawyers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's the that's the difficult part, right? I mean, having a proper agreement set up, you know, the contract set up the right way, the terms of service, and you know, what are we liable for, you know, but unfortunately you get into it and, you know, the lawyers, you know, they're not going to sit there and say, oh, well, they only had a week to do their test. So, you know, whatever. I think a lot of that gets thrown out yeah, it, when I mean, it start when it comes down to, hey, let's get lawyers involved and yeah, see if we can get something. Yeah, common sense is gone by that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't care you only had a week and they had, you know, six years. Right, I, right. Look, I, I'd love to know the story. There, there's a story here. However this went down, uh, them filing the lawsuit was in and of itself notable. And then the fact that it ended was in and of itself notable. Um, but I, I, I'm going to come back to something that, that I've looked at, and I've written about this before. Um, where's the harm? I mean, I, I know. I get it. I got it. I got it. So Somebody's credit card was compromised because we have this breach prevention bias and we, we seem to think it's oh, oh i can i can stop it all which is ridiculous but just so we're clear um right one of the things that they alleged is that this happened for three full weeks wait a minute every other report we've gotten for the last decade tells us that this stuff lasts for months if not years you're telling me somebody 
did, took action within three weeks, and, and now you're going to sue? Okay, that, that's just I – don't, I don't follow that logic. But, but now – hold on. So Target has a cost of doing business. The, the, there's a cost of convenience of using a credit card or credit or plastic or some sort of a payment system. Um, and, and so I'm just kind of looking at this whole cycle. You know, a lot of the banks I talk to, look, I get that the numbers that come out, it's, it's $5 to replace a card. Yeah, maybe for some small banks. But for most banks, it's not that high. By the way, they stopped giving out toasters a long time ago. That's a cost of doing business for them. They want your money. In fact, there was a study. Uh, this was a number of years ago. I don't know if it's if the numbers are still accurate, but you know the biggest challenge for a bank is churn, because the cost of acquiring a customer was like fifty to a hundred bucks. But if they could keep them, you know, they would they would make a, a lot of that back. So if once or twice a year there's a there's a cost of replacing a card. Uh, I don't see that as harm as much as a cost of doing business. And I get it. If it's our card that gets canceled and I got to go update 10 sites, it's a pain in the ass. Got it. But uh, that's the cost of convenience. Uh, uh, most of us can still remember the process of writing a check, although my wife jokes I probably don't know how to write one anymore. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't get the fascination with Target right now. I don't think well, they did anything different than other companies do every single day. Yeah, and you know it's it's funny because I, I've talked to other people about this idea of you know what's your responsibility with a credit card? You know, I mean, you get credit monitoring, right? But shouldn't you be monitoring your credit statements yourself? I mean, you've decided to get a credit card. You do have to take on some responsibility. Uh, to I say, just pay it. What are you talking about? You know, hey, I'm going to look at my statement every once in a while, and if you see stuff that's fraudulent, you report it. You know, and and you're not viable for any of that. But why aren't we doing that? And on the other note of, you know, the cost of it is for them to upgrade. I know my Chase Sapphire preferred card, you know, all of a sudden now has a chip in it. So now let's, let's, let's make sure that we understand a that's never going to be used here. It's just it's right, nice. But but if you go to Europe, it will. But if you know, if that's the way people are trying to push and this is now their opportunity to say, you know what? Hey, let's roll it out now. we got to replace everybody's card anyway. Let's just do it. Yeah. it you know, it. There but, are benefits to that. But as Michael has pointed out previously, chip and pin would have not stopped this issue. Yeah, look, I mean, I I, uh, I picked up an uh, – and, and let's not – to get him riled. Well, no, no, and, and I don't want to delve us into chip and pin today. But but again, I so I pick up a Consumer Reports and it says we need to push for legislation for chip and pin. Everybody else has it except for us. And nobody yet has answered my questions. What's the problem you're trying to solve is it an actual problem? What's the cost of solving that problem? And do you derive a marginal benefit from it? And by the way, when somebody tells me the answer is fraud, go back to your Chase Sapphire and everything else you get. Aren't they alerting you? I mean, heck, they have a freaking app, man. They'll, they'll text you if there's a problem or not. So our detection mechanisms and our response mechanisms are improving. And, and so I just, I'm looking at the whole thing saying, okay, so most of us just want to be able to buy train tickets in Amsterdam at 10 o'clock at night. And therefore, we should commit the world to spending billions of dollars. Yeah, smart play. And on that note, folks, that's it for this one because uh, we could keep going. I'm pretty <laughs> sure we could stop. Well, and, but, um, and we know we'll talk about this again on the next podcast. So. Yeah, and, and it <laughs> will be discussed, of course, because there will be some new development and we'll talk about it. And, and, and you'll all go, really? Come on, guys. But uh, for Raff and James here in beautiful, sunny Orlando for the day. And uh, Mr. Santarcangelo, thank you for joining us again with your snarcasm. It is always my pleasure. Uh, I like to call it accurate worldview.
accurate worldview. <laughs> there you go. And uh, I, you know, I'm curious um, as we close this out. If you have a, a, an XP box within uh, earshot in the office or someplace that you know isn't going away, uh, hashtag DTR. Tell us about it. I wanna, I wanna like maybe run an episode of like you know. Uh, war stories of windows xp like a year from now and like where you still see it why we can't upgrade yeah (laughs) but uh, all right thanks you guys for listening this is raf signing us off we'll see you again in another newscast talk to you later bye you've been listening to down the rabbit hole enterprise security news give us feedback on our website at podcast.whiterabbit.net that's w-h-1-t-3-r-a-b-b-i-t or on twitter at white rabbit w-h-1-t-3-r-a-b-b-i-t until next time on behalf of co-hosts james jardine and the white rabbit rafael los thank you for listening